Hermeneutics, the fifth principle, is grammar. And this is part two. Part two of grammar, or the laws of language. How is it that we can understand language? When we've seen, first of all, that there are eight parts of speech. One of those we're not going to deal with, the interjection. Let's just, ish, let's throw that one away. And then we've got seven parts of speech. We are going to make it a little simpler. We're going to reduce it to four. We'll put nouns and pronouns into one category that we are calling substantives, nouns and pronouns. Verbs get their own category. Then we've dealt with modifiers. Now we're on the fourth category, and that is conjunctions. Conjunctions. The wise interpreter will examine the conjunctions that begin the sentences in order to follow the argument of the author. Why? That's exactly right. Why? We want to answer the why question and conjunctions answer the why question. Asking what and who is important, but you cannot drill down deep until you ask why. And that, by the way, is one more evidence that Greek was the best language for the Bible to be in. Why is so easy to ask in Greek? Purpose and causality, causes, are easy to ask in Greek and Hebrew. But imagine asking it in Tsonga. Hikokwalahokayini. Hikokwalahokayini. Eight syllables to say why. Okay, Venda, a little bit better. Dingani. But is that really why? What is dingani, literally? It is by what? Dingamini. Dingani is short for dingamini. So when you say dingani, you're really saying it is by what? That's not quite the same as what is the cause or what is the purpose, which is the answer to the question, why? Let's see that now. Letter A. Here are some of the most important conjunctions. So that. When you see so that, you know that you are finding the answer to why. What is the purpose? Underline that. What is the purpose? So that is going to give us purpose. They are coming so that we can sing. What is the purpose of their coming? Singing. I believe so that I will be saved. What is the purpose of my believing? Salvation. Go in your Bibles to John 20, 31. Let's see a clear example of this from the Bible. And there are many, many like this. John 20, 31. John 20, 31. Can someone read that for me? But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Stop. So you saw the so that. Does the ESV have so that or just that? So that. So that. So that is answering the why question. John 20, 31. These things are written. There's a pronoun. These. Take out the these. What's the, what's, what goes in the place of these? 
These things are written. What things? The book of John. So take out these things are written and put the book of John. The book of John is written so that. What's the purpose? Right here you have the purpose statement of the book of John. There's only a handful of books that have the purpose statement right in them. John does. 1 John does. Jude does. These books that say these things are written so that. 1 Timothy does. Not too many of the books of the Bible do, but when they do, grab them and hold firm. Right there, it's a clear example. I wrote these things, the book of John, so that what? So that what? So you can say with 110% certainty, the book of John is written because or for so that we will believe. So if I was going to ask you what's the theme or the purpose of the book of John, what is it? Believe, give me a little bit more. What kind of believing or how can I believe? Believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus. Right? And isn't it right there? Look in verse 31. These things are written so that what? There you go. What kind of believing? It's the kind that's in Christ. That's the kind of believing we're talking about. So that tells us purpose. Next one, letter B, because. Because answers why. What is the cause? You can even see it in the English there if you break up B and cause. This be the cause. What be the cause? The thing that comes after because is the cause. I will try because I am a Christian. Wow, wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. Look at Look at the top of page 38. I will try because I am a Christian. What's the difference between that and this? I will try so that I am a Christian. What's the difference in these two? I will try because I am a Christian. I will try so that I am a Christian. What's the difference? One is why you're being a Christian. The other is saying what is happening from being a Christian. The one shows the cause. The other shows the purpose. This is the, ex- this is the difference between the Reformed Church and the Catholic Church. I will try because I'm caused to try by my Christianity. It was, my, it was salvation that made me try, not my trying that made me saved. The Catholic Church says, if you want to be saved, go do good works. The Bible says, if you are saved, go do good works. Do you see the difference? It's 100% different. The one makes it the result, the other makes it the cause. They died because they smoked cigarettes. What was the cause of their death? Letter C. Then, therefore... These answer the question, why? What is the? What is the next step? What is the consequence? I need money. Therefore, I will work. Why am I working? I need to get money. The result of my need is my work. 
I needed money, therefore, result, I work. I am saved, therefore, what's the result? Yes, baptism is a result. It's the next step. It's the consequence of salvation. Do you see it's not the cause and the conjunctions tell you that. You don't say, I am saved because I will get baptized. No, changing the conjunctions is the difference between heaven and hell. It's the difference between the doctrine of Satan and the doctrine of Christ. Letter D, and links two clauses that support each other. Letter B, letter E, but contrasts two clauses. Those are some of the more important conjunctions. Letter B, go backward on page 37. Letter B, the word because. Many times that word because is translated F-O-R, for. Many times in Romans 8, for, 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 for. And there it means because. All right, any questions on these parts of speech? We've discussed four parts of speech. We squeeze the eight parts into four. Verbs, substantives, modifiers, conjunctions. Any questions on these? All right, let's, let me just give you a few comments on word studies. What is a word study? A word study is looking carefully at one word. If you were at church with us on the Lord's Day, what is the one word we studied? Okay, yeah, here, here we studied truth. In, in Valdezia, what was the one word we studied? Justification. Justification. We studied that one word. And what I'm about to tell you, I did it. I did it, and if you get my notes, especially if, you, if I print out the pages where I was just writing my notes down, my observations, you'll see I did this. Word studies can be very helpful because the Bible has many important words. Letter B, let me give you a method for preparing a word study. Number one, look up the word in a dictionary. That can get you started. But step two, look at the usage with a concordance. Look at the usage of the word with a concordance. If you can do this with Greek or Hebrew, that's the best. If you say, I don't know Greek and Hebrew, you can do this on the computer or on your phone or you can get a program for your laptop if you have one for free, like eSword or Online Bible. And they search the Greek words. So right through the Greek Bible, you can search every time that Greek word shows up so that even if you don't know Greek, you can still search the Greek word. But if you say, well, that's too complicated for me. I don't know how to do that. Fair enough. Just do it in English and you'll still get a lot of gold. How do you do that? You get a concordance and you look up a word. For example, on Sunday, I preached on justification. So on my computer, I typed in Romans 3.24. In Romans 3.24 is the word justification. I clicked on that word and I said, show me every time that word comes up in the Bible. My computer put it up for me. 
And I spent an hour or two reading every verse in the Bible that have that word. And there's enough that it's bigger than the book of Ephesians. So I read a lot of verses. It was like I read a whole book of the Bible just reading all the verses that are going to use that word. And I learned a lot. Sometimes it's used this way. Sometimes it's used this way. Paul the Apostle uses it more than anyone else. I was able to learn a lot of things that way. Paul loves this doctrine. Why doesn't John like this doctrine? Jesus uses it five times. What does he mean when he uses it those times? Why doesn't he use it more? Does he use another word that means the same thing? So I had to ask all those questions as I was reading. That's step two, and it can be the most profitable part of your study. In the old days, you had to read the whole Bible in the Greek Bible very slowly and carefully to do this. Now with computers, you can look at it in a moment. I just type into my computer, Romans 3.24. I click on that word. Show me, Mr. Computer, all those uses. Bump. And then I spend two hours reading every word on that list and marking down notes. You can do that too if you have a computer or if you have your cell phone. If you don't, you need to get a concordance, a big book that has all the uses of the word. The most important thing to do in a word study is read all the uses and make notes about it. I came to my theological position that I'm at today of a reformed, new covenant, progressive dispensational Baptist. I came to those conclusions by doing word studies on word like kingdom, words like kingdom. That got me to be progressive dispensational. Follow or follow Jesus. That got me to lordship salvation. I did a word study on election. That gets me halfway to reformed. Word studies can be very helpful and very helpful for your people when you're teaching or preaching. Step three, bring all these parts together and write a definition. You can read more in the notes there. I'll, I'll leave that for you. Let's move on now to page 39, block diagramming. Page 39. I think this will be helpful for us. Block diagramming. A helpful tool for seeing the author's meaning in a passage is the block diagram. I learned this from Joel James, and I thank God for him, a godly man uh, serving the Lord and preaching the gospel in Pretoria. Block diagrams move parts of the Bible around on paper so that you can see them more easily. When you look at your Bible, all you see is many words together. But when you block diagram them, suddenly they jump off as if you drew a picture. Here's what you do with a block diagram. You identify, letter B, number one, identify the main verb. See, there's Joel James, I told you. He says the verb controls the sentence. There it is, number one. Get the main verb. Number two, find the supporting clauses. Number three, allow the main parts of the passage to become the main points of the sermon. Here's some examples. I think better than just explain, let's look at examples. 
Does anyone know Genesis 1, verse 1? What's the first word in the Bible? In. In. But in the block diagram of Genesis 1, 1, I put in at the bottom. In our block diagram, what's first? Yes, because in a block diagram, what you put first on the left side of the page, or if you're Hebrew on the right, on the left side of the page, you put down the subject and the verb. So you're going to put down right here, subject, verb. That's your whole sentence. That's the... That's the skeleton of your sentence. What's the skeleton of the sentence? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's the skeleton? What's the subject and the verb? God created. God created. There it is. See how simple? So you have there in your notes, God created. That's your subject. That's your verb. You could put a full stop after it right there and your sentence is done. Subject, verb. You have meaning. But God didn't stop there. He continued on and gave us an object. He told us what he created. So way on the right side of the page, you put down your objects. That is the things that the verb does. What do the verb do? No, that's the verb created. What did the verb do though? It created something. What did it create? Yeah, heaven and earth. And then there's another phrase. What's the other phrase in that verse? Now, wait a minute. Does this answer the question, what kind or how? In the beginning, does it answer what kind or how? How did God create? When did God create? This is answering the question of how or when, specifically when. It's an adverb describing creation. Oh, how did the creation happen? What was the manner of creation? It was a beginning creation. So this is a modifier. So in block diagramming, you put the modifiers way at the bottom and set off a little bit in beginning. I'm just reproducing on the board what you have in your notes there. You can do that for any verse of the Bible. This will help you understand it clearly. And again, when you understand things clearly, you can preach them clearly. Right now, if you wanted, you could preach three points off of this verse. You say, number one, I want to tell you what God did. Then you say, okay, God created. He's powerful. Number two, my second point. What did God make? He he made this, the heavens and the earth. Number three, what was the manner? How did he do it? When did he do it? In the beginning. Block diagrams help you open up the passage to understand them clearly. Some passages are more complicated. But if you follow this, you just put subject and verb. Always put the subject and verb on the left. Always put the object on the right. Always put your modifiers lower down underneath the subject and the verb. And you can block diagram any sentence in the Bible. What if you have a relative clause like, he went because he was sick? Okay, that's not a relative clause. That's a, 
that's a, a dependent clause, because he was sick there. A relative clause is either going to be an adjective or an adverb. Um, he went, um, the boy who was sick went home. The boy who was sick is the relative clause, and that's going to be describing he went home. So you put it underneath, he went home. But where would you put that on the box diagram? If it's describing, you put it underneath as a modifier. Uh, modifiers always go underneath because they're servants. Objects go over here. And then if you say, he went home because he was sick, you start with, he went home. New one, because it's a new clause. He was sick. Put because underneath it. So you've got two sentences there. He went home. Number two, he was sick. Two points in that sentence. I'm not going to take any more time on block diagrams because the main thing is you need to practice them and, and I think that practice is going to be more helpful than explanation. Are there any questions or comments as we close?